Okay, I do have a warning for you. I see anyone get on their phones today to check scores. I will use this. That's the only warning I'm going to give on that. Um, I was told to tell everyone hi from Wesley. Uh, got to go to church with him uh, last Sunday, and he wanted to let me let you all know that he said hi. He's doing well. Uh, just the start of the semester, so it's kind of you walk around. There's a bunch of kids who are a little bit depressed to be back into the school swing of things, back to the cafeteria food. But he's doing well overall, and he's doing doing really good. So it was good to see him. Um, it was a lot nicer here than it was in Southern California. So I'm thrilled to be back. Matthew chapter five is where we're going to be. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we looked at the first twelve verses last week. And the title of it is What It Looks Like to Follow Jesus. Now, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, this is one of the last little portions of the, of the sermon that we're going to look at today that is somewhat encouraging and, and a little more um, motivational, you could say. Because after this, in several of the sections, you, you see Jesus start with, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. You see that a lot in the rest of this chapter. And he really contradicts or contradicts or goes against what they're used to hearing. But before that, he comes here in verse 13 and he he gives them a metaphor. He actually gives them two. And we looked last time at the Beatitudes and these are the characteristics or attitudes we are to have because of our relationship with Christ. And now we see Jesus transition to use two metaphors to describe the disciples and those that would follow Jesus. The first 12 verses, if you read them, are, are encouraging. Blessed, 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 happy. You're, you're going to be happy because of this. And he's equipping us with the attributes and the promises to live our life for him. He commands us, to rejoice in those verses because whatever the world throws at us cannot compare to the joy and the expectation of heaven. The rest of the sermon deals with some fairly heavy commands and expectations that Jesus has for us. So let's look at this, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. We're only going to look at uh, uh, three or four verses, four verses today. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and, give, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You see, we see these metaphors. The first one is this, that we are to publicly live out our Christianity in a global theater. He says you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. First and foremost, ladies and gentlemen, we have a command to live out our Christianity in a global means. Now, that does not mean that each of us has to go to a mission field and preach to some 
foreign country, but it does mean that we are to be living out our lives in our local theater. Krista's here right now, and they were on Tanape for how long? Five years. We supported them all through that time, and it was awesome. We didn't have to go to Tanape. Uh, it would have been cool, because I'm not an island person. I, I sweat too much. It's not good, especially in the mountains. But we didn't have to go there, but we supported someone to do that for us. And that's the purpose of this. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. So Jesus is commanding that you will have a global influence. And we have an influence through our attitude and through the characteristics that he gave us in the first 12 verses. (coughs) Jesus' mandate for us shows us that we are to have an impact in our society. The two metaphors are salt and light. It's interesting to me that Jesus showcases his humility here. This also proves that the Bible was not written by men, that was not completely written by men. You ever notice that? If it was written selfishly by a person, we would not be compared to a mineral or a land. You ever notice that? You ever notice that the Bible kind of downs the author a lot of times or downs mankind jesus uses two simple things that would have been every day at that point salt and light a chinese christian came to a missionary one time and said i have learned to quote the entire sermon on the mount by memory he stood before the missionary and perfectly quoted the sermon word for word the missionary said that's wonderful how did you do it The Christian said, I spent the last year trying to live it. Now we're looking at a portion of scripture that if I asked for a raise of hands, how many of you have ever heard a a message from it? And I was tempted to skip over it because a few months ago we heard Brody preach a message out of this same text. But here's the thing. We can never stop living out this mandate. We should never stop living out the simplicity of what Jesus has commanded us. Thank you. thought I was doing good. Yikes. We picked a lot of high songs today, so it stressed me out. You guys. But we can never get past the simplicity of Jesus' command in our life. A British preacher once said, the greatest threat to Christianity isn't communism. It's not atheism, it's not materialism, it's not humanism. The greatest threat to Christianity is Christians trying to sneak into heaven incognito without ever sharing their faith. Without ever living out the Christian life, without ever becoming involved in the most significant work that God is doing on the planet. And this is the problem that Jesus is trying to remedy here. There is no such thing as being a I guess, a sideline Christian. A sideline Christian is a stumbling Christian, I'll put it that way. And when we think of salt and light in our own lives, I want you to filter what we say through two words. Think of salt and light, we need to filter it through this, attitude and actions. Our attitude and our actions matter. What we do and how we do it are two very important aspects For us as Christians. Remember, attitude and actions. How many of you guys have ever heard this? I'm going to do it 
but I'm not going to be happy about it. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> we get that way a lot, don't we? Fine, God, I'll serve you. I'm not going to be thrilled about it. God, you've given me a job to do, but I'm, I'm going to have a bad attitude about it. That's one of the most discouraging things for me. This, I guess it's my personality, and this is something that I, I, I guess I catch on to. When someone comes in to serve the Lord, and they do it with a bad attitude. Let me put it this way. You're going to come into church and fulfill your role or do what God's called you to do, and you're not going to have a joyful spirit like God has commanded. Don't do it. I'll be honest with you. Because when we have a lost person come in, they don't need to see someone grumbling and complaining about how good it is to serve the Lord. So let's look at this. Let's look at some characteristics of salt and light. Salt in this time, historically, it was a preservative. In the ancient world, the primary function of salt was to preserve things. Instead of refrigeration, they had it for meat. And we as Christians are to bring Christ's word and God's influence into our society to preserve it. This is where God says we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Salt was introduced into something foreign to help preserve it. That's what we are to be, a preservative in society. Salt is also a flavoring or a seasoning. In similar fashion, Christians bring spice or zest into life. We have fun. I think we have fun. And I threatened you guys with a Nerf gun about 10 minutes ago. It was awesome. But we're supposed to bring some excitement into, into society. <coughs> we need to make sure that our lives are something that is desirable to other people. Salt was an antiseptic used to fighting wounds, just as Christians have a responsibility to not only point out sin, but to help be the remedy for sin. You understand that? Look, I can come to you all day long and say, hey, you're really messing up here. You're, you're failing at this. That's not going to do a whole lot. But if I come to you and say, hey, I'm seeing this in your life, help, let me help you fix it. That's what salt is. Now, do you ever put salt in a wound? Does it feel good? Never. But it cures what's going to be the problem later on. Salt creates thirst. It's been said that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But the rest of that saying goes on. You can give him a salt tablet and make him thirsty. <coughs> As Jesus made people thirsty for God the Father, so do Christians make people thirsty for the real life that's only found in Christianity. But something else, and this is a little more encouraging, salt is valuable. I, did, I found this out. This is kind of interesting. If you like fun facts, this is one of them. Roman soldiers in Jesus' time were paid in salt. It's where we get the phrase, he's worth his weight in salt. Salt was a commodity. It was something special. And the soldiers would revolt if they didn't get their ration. And our English word, salary, comes from the Latin word, salarium, which literally means salt money. And our expression, that man is not worth his salt, is a reminder of the high value that salt had in biblical times. We are valuable both to God, but also to our society. <coughs> now, our society doesn't always look at us as valuable. But you take away the Christian influence in our society and watch how it goes down. 
look, we can say Washington, D.C. is a pretty corrupt place, and I, I believe it is. But take away those few people that are there that are actually trying to do what God wants them to do and watch it completely go down. We are valuable in society. But look at characteristics of light. Light dispels darkness. Pretty easy. Go in a dark room, turn on a light, darkness goes away. That's what we're to do. We're to be different. So diff- We're to be as, to di- as different as darkness is to light. It reveals stuff. If you're lo- looking for something, shine light on it. We are to help reveal truth. It awakens. Just as when dad would come down and turn on the light at 3 a.m. for us to get up to go to Missouri, that was not a fun waking. That was not good at all. <coughs> Tyler loved it. He'll say, yeah, it was the best thing in the world. I was not as thrilled. But it awakens. We're to awaken our society to their sinful nature, but also awaken them to the grace and power of God. Light warns, just as a lighthouse would warn of incoming danger, we're to be a a warning system for society, but also light comforts. Just as a nightlight for a child or a, a fire while camping, we bring comfort and warmth into the world. Satan will use loneliness and tragedy to bring people down, whereas we as Christians can bring community and comfort to build people up. We saw some examples of that in testimony. Someone called it harassing. I'm using that. If your church isn't harassing its people, it's not doing it the right way. But look, Joe, the Camachos and the Bennett's have experienced firsthand in the last few months what it means to have a church family behind them. And that's what we do. I'm amazed with our church family. This is something completely unique and special. I honestly believe that. And it's not because you have one of us three up here leading. It's because of your guys' personality in it. Your guys' willingness to be used of God. We set up a meal train. It's a fight to make sure we get Maybe just one person on a day. I know we had several days where two people were going over to house. That's what a church family is for. So light dispels darkness. It reveals, it it awakens, it warns, and it it comforts. So now we know what salt and light do. We look at these illustrations or these metaphors that Jesus Christ gives. But what's the next step? How do we as Christians become this? Disciples on display. That's what I titled tonight as Disciples on Display. Well, if you're taking notes, number one, this is how we become a disciple on display. You have to remember that being used by God comes from being close to God. Being used by God comes from being close to God. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, Wherewith shall it be salty? It is thenceforth, look at what he says here six times, good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Being used by God comes from being close to God, which means we are to live a holy life. The world doesn't like that word. The world doesn't like holy. And I don't know if we fully understand what it means. But an interesting thing about salt is that if you take pure salt 
set it in a dish and leave it out and you leave it there for a decade and you come back, that salt will be completely unchanged. Salt loses its savor when it's mixed in with something. When it's corrupted by something. And ladies and gentlemen, we've been called to live a holy life. The same is for us. Our lives should be holy and set apart for God. We should strive to be different from the average unsaved person. This doesn't mean that we have a holier-than-thou attitude, not by any stretch of the imagination. Instead, it is us striving to keep a relationship with God that is different than the average person. Ladies and gentlemen, God looks at what we do. You know that God cares about what we do. We had a debate in Bible college one time with a group of students. And I remember how divisive this was in the dormitory. And these students had this idea that they could live however which way they wanted because God completely covered everything. Now, they're, they're right in one aspect. God has covered everything. But I think Paul was pretty clear when he said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to live a holy life, holy, blameless, without handles, the Bible calls it. When we get around the people that bring us down spiritually, we are sacrificing some of our savor for the relationships around us. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <coughs> As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. How are you doing on that? We're to live a holy life, but our usefulness will be determined, determined by our quality. Those of you who use any sorts of tools throughout your day, if, whether it's uh, Josh or plumbing or whether you're building like Jimmy and Austin do, whatever it is, you want this, the best tool for the job, correct? I'm the type of person, I don't have a whole lot of skill set in those types of things. I'm going to find whatever works, even if it's not designed for that. If it works, it does great. That's why <laughs> don't look at the toolbox I have in my house. You never know what it's going to be. But when you're doing a job, you want the right tool. Right, Chad? You don't, you, you don't want a butter knife to cut down a tree, do you? No. You want the chainsaw. You want something that's going to cut through it quick. The same is for us. God has called us to live a holy life, but he wants to use the people that are best equipped for that job. Jesus uses some strong language here. He states that the person who is corrupted, the salt that lost his savor, the person that lost his purpose, his drive, his usefulness, is what are those three words? Good for nothing. It's hard to correlate the world's view of Jesus as being just love with that statement. Jesus is the most loving being in existence, but he still has a standard set. 
Jesus making a dogmatic and an emphatic statement declaring that to serve him requires a, a level of purity and usefulness. It's easy to get to a point where we can say, I'm, I'm doing okay. I mean, I could do better, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or we start justifying our sin or correlating our sin with evangelism. Well, I can reach more people for Jesus by skipping sports to go to a sports or skipping church to go to a sports game. I've heard someone say that. I've heard someone say, hey, I'm, I'm a missionary when I'm outside of the church. You know, I, I, I've got something to do tonight, so I'm going to be a missionary there. That's going to be my church service. not sure how you can justify that i've heard people say well i can be a missionary at my bar (laughs) tell me how effective that's going to be we can get to a point where we start justifying our sin and attributing it to a mission that god has set for us we can justify our sin until we're blue in the face but jesus defines sin very differently than we do Here's a tip. If you need help remaining pure, trying to be holy, start defining sin as God defines sin. The problem with a lot of people is we've decided to put different categories in our, um, on sin, whereas God doesn't. You can talk to the average Christian, they say, well, there's like the big sins. There's murder, that's a pretty big sin, or adultery, that's a pretty big sin. And I'd agree. But, you know, God says a lying tongue is something he hates. And we call that just a little white lie. Start defining sin as God would define sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Define evil as God would define evil. You'll start to recognize that we're really not as good as we think we are. I did that with the kids in Quan the other night. We were talking about this, and the uh, word sin came up, and I asked them, how many of you have ever sinned? And a couple of kids raised their hand and said, well, I've never sinned. Now, I'm not here to, I don't, I don't like to look at the kid and say, well, you're, you're sinning right now. No, I started asking the kids this. I said, look, have you ever done this? I said, you don't think this is very bad, but have you ever done fill in the blank? Well, they, I, they said, yeah, I've done that. I said, but I haven't done anything really bad. So I give them verses about how God looks at sin. Isn't it funny to, not funny, it's kind of humbling to look at what we do on a daily basis, cross-reference it with Scripture, and realize we're not doing nearly as good as we thought we were. Jesus is saying here, if the salt has lost its savor, if you've lost your purpose, if you... You've lost your passion or your, your usefulness. You're good for nothing. The great thing about that, though, is you can get it back. Unlike salt, repent of it. Get rid of that sin, that sin that you've been holding on to. Go back to God, and guess what? You're as good as new, he says. He casts it away. As far as the east is from the west. So first, being used by God comes from being close to God. Number two, making a difference comes from being distinct. Making a difference comes from being distinct. Salt and light are both very distinct substances. They're easily recognizable. If you put too much salt on your food, you'll 
automatically tasted it or if you turn on a light in a dark room, it's noticeable. And Jesus says here in verse uh, 14, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's a sobering thought that one day everyone will know that Jesus is Jesus was right. You ever thought about that? Our society, the celebrities, the politicians, everyone will know one day that Jesus was right. It's something that I'm looking forward to, but I'm scared of. Because there are people I want on my side when that gets to that point. We should be distinct in how we live our lives because people are searching for the answer. This is the thing I love about our church. We've got a lot of businessmen and women in this church who run their own businesses. And I've been on a job site with Chad Strange where he's witnessing to a person firsthand. Now, he might be up in the tree yelling while swinging. That person's learning about Jesus. I've seen Joe Camacho look at someone. I've watched my dad and my mom talk to people firsthand. There is no such thing as a sideline Christianity. We will give an account for how we shined our light. So are you going to put it under a bushel like the verse says? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed. Don't be molded by this world. Don't look the way the world wants you to look. Don't act the way the world wants you to look. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Share your testimony. Wear Jesus with pride. Be devoted and make public with your faith. Some people are going to scoff at it. But I want to have the same, I guess, passion that some of our little boys have had at those wrestling tournaments in fearlessly confronting people with those Jesus is the answer cards. Do you recognize that I could take every kid in here, we could go into Walmart with a stack of tracks. I honestly believe that we could do this right now. I could take a box of tracks into Walmart with our teens and our kids, and they would empty that box in 30 minutes. Every person would get a track. And I don't say this to insult anyone. I'd have a lot harder time doing it with the adults at this church. You know why? Because we've got a lot more baggage on our hands. The kids understand the, the beauty of it, the simplicity of it. We've got all this like, well, what are people going to think of me? Get rid of that. Be bold in sharing your testimony. Embrace that childlike fervor to share Jesus with people. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Making a difference comes from being distinct. And lastly, and real quick, having an influence comes from serving visibly. Having an influence comes from serving visibly. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. 
Let your light so shine before men. That's a command. Hey, shine your light before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I love Jesus' little sarcastic statement. Hey, men don't light a candle and put it under a basket. You have to wonder what the disciples are listening to this. And he said, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. And Well, you don't light a candle and stick it under a basket, do you? Kind of reminds me a little bit of my grandpa. My grandpa can be a little bit sarcastic like that. You see, we should understand that private Christianity is laughable. Jesus is saying that. Hey, if I've saved you, if you've accepted me as, as, as your Savior and you decide I'm going to go put that light under a bushel, I'm going to hide that. I'm not going to tell you when I got saved. I'm just going to keep that to myself. That's my own private life. Jesus is calling that laughable. He's calling it, it's, it's, it's funny to him. It's It's ridiculous. You cannot have your sin and expect your relationship with Christ to be good. We are to serve visibly with what Jesus has done for us. Churches are filled with people who come to church, but do not want to take church where they are. They want to keep these two parts of their lives separate. Jesus tells us that our works will reflect God, and it is up to us to make sure that the reflection is a good one. I had a friend go to Italy a number of years ago. They went to Italy and they went to a church in Verona. Frank and Jenny know the missionary they went to see. And they went to a church in Verona and they, they found where the address was. And they said, we're going to go to church with this family. Like, we want to see their work. Their church was supporting them. So they went over there. And the church was fairly young. And they walked into these people's home. People are still there in Verona doing a good job. And my friend said there was three of them. And they walked in the house. And the only people there that was there was the missionary family. Husband and wife and their three kids. My friend told me that they had a full-blown church service with eight people. Two groups, eight people. I mean, talk about living out your life at home. I mean, you're taking church everywhere. But you know, you look at them today and they're ha they have a thriving church in Verona. You know why? Because they lived out publicly what they knew privately. And we're to do the same. Do the people around you know that you're a Christian? Are you distinct? Are you glorifying God in your actions? I can honestly say that my testimony has not always been the best. There have been times working in a world where Maybe I laugh at something that I shouldn't have laughed at, or I start acting a certain way that I shouldn't act. But I can say without a shadow of a doubt that the people around me didn't at least know I was a little bit different. 1 Peter 2.9, this is the last thing, says this. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar you know, it's okay to be a little weird. Let's just put it that way. A peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, we sing it with the kids a lot. 
This light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. When's the last time you let it shine? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. God, we love you for bringing us out tonight. Thank you for bringing everyone safe here. Lord, thank you for the church family that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we go out today and we let that light shine. We be us. We be salt to our society today. We help preserve. We, we, Lord, we spice things up. We show our value. Lord, help us to be a disciple on display for people around us to see. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.